the reviews keep marching, the team keeps adding players, and we have some more clarity across independent league baseball. You don't want to miss this episode of the Indie Bar Report podcast. Back again, episode number 205 of the Indie Bar Report podcast. I'm Nick, he's Will. And it's kind of weird to say 205 because I just never really expected the show to get to this point, you know? And uh, the fact we're here is kind of surprising. I don't know, are we going to reach to a point where you we've we've done so many episodes where you, we just forget how to count like that high? Like We just don't know what to call the episodes anymore. Well, I already did that once. Remember when we were going to 201? I was like, episode 100 and I was like, oh, wait, my mistake. 100 and. And actually 200. At 100 plus 100 and one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're going to reach the point, though, where I definitely start repeating, like, title names because I've done that once or twice, I think, already. Like, I know for the solo episodes, I mistakenly said solo episode six twice. So uh, <laughs> I had to clean that up. When I was updating all the players on the website, I was like, oh, wow, I, uh, uh, there's a little bit of a repeat here. Let's just go ahead and change that title real quick to be the correct number. And, mm-hmm. uh, well, we'll pretend like that never happened. It wasn't the case for about uh, 18 months. But, uh, yeah. So, in any case, uh, we have news for you this week. We have more uh, uh, reviews and whatnot here because those seem to be doing well. So, we're going to keep doing them. And once we get through the Atlantic League North... We'll be almost at the halfway mark of all the reviews. So it's kind of moving itself along here. And as you guess, and as I just kind of spilled on, uh, the Atlantic League North is our division review this week. Obviously, Atlantic League South will be next week. But before we get to that, we have Atlantic League 2023 news to go over and also a slight touch of the Pioneer League. So I guess we could just hit the ground running on that and get going. We'll start in Frederick, Maryland, where we got some more information about the team this past week. Uh, We know that this Frederick Atlantic League club will have a name in two weeks two weeks from now they will reveal the name the name finalist we'll go over in a minute but they are kind of like what i said earlier when we said oh brandios is doing this so it's going to be an adjective and a noun they all are pretty much adjective noun they're all what you'd expect from modern minor league baseball which is to say kind of funny kind of out there uh kind of fun but at the same time kind of ridiculous too uh, however, either way, we will know some players on this team uh, fairly soon. Next week, meaning week of 23, they're going to announce their first two signings. So we'll check back there, see who Mark Medikazi and company managed to haul in to this Frederick team this year. And also, a fun little note here is because you can't just snap your fingers and have jerseys on demand, uh, the first 50 games, the team will wear a uniform with question marks, that are in the Maryland state colors. So red, kind of a gold, black. They're just dotting all over the jersey. If you want to see what that looks like, if you go to the link in our show notes, uh, there is a picture of it. And you can take a look at it there. Uh, But yeah, overall, it is an interesting setup. And before we get into the name finalists and before we list all of them, uh, do we have any thoughts on uh, the first part of this? Well... I thought it was uh, very interesting with the the question marks uh, in the yeah. state flag. I don't know. I, I feel like we've kind of reached. I mean, you're you're getting to the middle of February. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. Let's pick it up a little bit. But yeah. it, 
you know, I think they're, you know, they're moving it along, and of course they're going to have to to pick a name here at some point. But I don't know though. So it, it it's really seeing a team for the first fifty games of the year wearing a uniform with question marks. I'm like, I, I'm still feeling like somebody's pulling my leg here. I know it's what it says in the in the article. I'm like, I'm waiting for someone to say, "Just kidding." You actually thought we we're going to take the field with question marks. Yeah, it feels very much like uh, Jim Carrey's Riddler, you know, like the comic book character with all the question marks all over his suit and everything. It feels yeah. like that a lot. And I mean, like, I always want to start calling them the, the Frederick Riddlers just because of that. It is very, it's very odd. I mean, like, it's definitely better than just kind of going out in some generic uniform that's just like Frederick on the front and then team name on the front in white and gray for like 50 games i mean that'd be just kind of weird if you're gonna have to do a temporary thing i suppose doing a temporary thing that stands out that is memorable that could get some attention is the better course of action i think you may even be able to buy those jerseys too i don't know for certain so don't quote me on that but i vaguely remember you being able to purchase them i'm gonna look at that real quickly but right and i guess it makes sense in the sense that it takes some time to get the uniforms in and everything came together so last minute. So like, I, I understand that it's probably not easy to to get everything and get the branding in and get the uniforms in. It's just, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a weird look though, that, that's for sure. But you know what, um, the finalists for the names, uh, there's some interesting names on there to say the least. It, they definitely are. We'll definitely get into those to, just to wrap the question mark discussion. Yeah. The jersey, if you want to see it and purchase it, is on the Frederick site under the shop tab. If you want to see what the hat they're going to wear, it's also on the shop tab. The hat itself for the official on-field one is $35. It's a black hat with a white question mark. So make of that what you will. And if you <laughs> think it's worth the money, by all means, go for it. If you buy it, I would love to see a picture of it. If I don't you think it's worth the money. I disagree, but that's your that's your uh, your opinion. Exactly, because it's like I don't, I can't see me paying eighty dollars for it. Uh, but at the same point in time, I uh, I would love to see what it is. And yeah, so with that, we will go right into these names, and we will show you what to do. If you go to the Frederick site, you'll see there's a tab where you can click cast vote. You click that, it brings you to the page, and it will ask you for your first and second choice. Uh, the choices are, though, and this is open until the 17th, so it is open until uh, a week from the, the day we're recording this, which is Friday, so uh, it's open until Friday if you guys want to vote on it. So the first choice is the Bone Shakers. It's named after those big bicycles, you know, the ones that have the big wheel in the front and the small wheel in the back, you know, those ones, I think they're kind of known as penny-farthing bicycles. Apparently, Frederick was very big into those and the reason they call them bone shakers is they have no suspension so it feels like it's shaking your bones while you're riding it so that's your first choice um the second choice is the ghost hounds uh the ghost hounds uh relates to a kind of urban legend a myth around frederick that there's this old black or blue dog that can be seen roaming the grounds of the city and occasionally you can hear barking so it kind of goes back to a, a myth an urban legend, if you would. Uh, the next is the rail frogs. Uh, essentially, it relates back to all the railroads around Frederick and how when you look at one of the changeovers 
for a rail line, it kind of looks like a frog, so hence rail frog. Um, after that, we have the Sawbones uh, that is named after the museum that is in town, which is the National Museum of Civil War Medicine. So, some balls would actually be a very fitting name in that regard. And, um, yeah, it's named after the saws they used to amputate limbs in the Civil War. And then we have the final one, which is probably the early front runner that I've seen online getting a whole lot of uh, publicity, a whole lot of press. A lot of uh, popular feedback, but it's also equally the most, I'd say, absurd of them all, which is the screaming yeah. alpacas. Uh, <laughs> essentially, there's just a lot of uh, alpaca farms in the area, apparently. And uh, there's a local 4-H club that teaches that alpaca program, and they just kind of want to relate to that. So your choices are, again, the bone shakers, the ghost towns, the rail frogs, the Sawbones, and the Screaming Alpacas. Uh, thoughts on those names? Because you certainly seem to have a reaction about uh, that last one. I think Screaming Alpacas is absolutely hysterical. And I hope that's what they go with, because that's just objectively hilarious. I And I just am begging to see the uh, what the Screaming Alpaca mascot looks like. Yeah. You think of all the fun things you could do with like the like I don't know like in between pitches like the instead of like the whatever normal beats they play it's just like an alpaca screaming or like they cross the plate and you just play a video of an alpaca screaming like that's just this so endless possibilities. I mean, and, like I feel like the perfect time for like the screaming alpaca one is either like after a strikeout or like one of those foul ball ones. You know, they always play the sound like when you foul it back, and then it's like a car window breaking sound effect. You foul yeah. it back, and it's just a shrieking alpaca. Yeah, exactly. Like it's like you drilled an alpaca with a foul ball. How could you? But uh, I think I, I think rail frogs is also pretty good. Yeah. I, I think I think there's a lot you can do with that. However, I am I am all aboard the screaming alpaca strain. You know, I at first I was like, oh, that seems just like a little too much. But now the more I'm thinking about it, the more you're talking to me about it, I'm I'm kind of on board with it. I think ghost towns could kind of be cool, if not a little generic. Um, you know, I think there's an opportunity to really do kind of a, a cool thing, maybe with a black and a gray, something like that. Maybe get like. One of my favorite colors to use in the design, which is like a bright lime green in there too. Could be something nice there. I like the Sawbones a lot too. I just feel like that connects the area a lot. And, you know, it feels like it'd be kind of cool. Like the Frederick Sawbones, even though, you know, the more you say it, the more the branding goes. I, I don't know about it. But uh, yeah, honestly, I'm kind of, you kind of convinced me on Screaming Alpacas. I think in, we need to cast our vote for Screaming Alpacas. In fact, while you were talking, I cast my vote for streaming alpacas. Oh, you entered in all the information here? Using the Google autofill? <laughs> the the autofill is the greatest thing known to man, honestly. Oh, well, of course it is. I mean, it makes everything a lot easier. And, you know, I'm just going to keep talking here while I go ahead and fill out, uh, fill out my thing here for screaming alpacas. Exactly. We, lo we love screaming alpacas. I mean, it's... And and it's also good to know that the the kids were all, all about it. So exactly, yeah. 
You can formally uh, count it. This show is pro-screaming alpaca. That's right. So now we just got to go ahead and submit uh, the other choice here. All right. I, I think I'm going to go Thrill Frogs as my second. I feel like I'm going to go Ghost Town. I, I like Ghost Town. I think there's something we could do here. But Screaming Alpaca is definitely the priority. I said we got to keep this uh, keep this all in one. So let's see here. It looks like I just got to click after you fill out the information and click submit. And I think you're good to go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So yeah, Screaming Alpaca's in the one. And then uh, Ghost Town's in the two. That's the way we go on that topic. But we do have other news to talk about. And one of those other pieces of news is the fact that other big changes are happening. Now, of course, it's happening on the major league level. but it And it includes the Atlantic League in the sense of the rule changes. Remember those things that the Atlantic League used to do? And then we'd all go ahead. And we all eagerly wait to see what kind of stupidity would come out this week. And then we go, oh, this is going to go poorly. And then it would go poorly because it wouldn't have the desired effect. And the players would hate it and then self-sabotage it. And then the league would get annoyed at the players for self-sabotaging it. And the players would say, well, you're playing around my career. And who's going to sign someone playing in a league where the mound's not the same distance as every other league on earth? And uh, and then that whole little feud would happen. Only this time... I remember those times. Yeah, exactly. And they were fun. Only this time, it seems like they took... Uh, one of the ridiculous rules, and one of the ones that was actually pretty good, the one that I don't think anyone complained about. So those have made their way to Major League Baseball. Of course, what we're talking about is larger bases and the shift ban. They're going to affect in 2023. Shift ban, two defensive players on both sides of second base. Infielders must play their position. You remember these, but we're going to go over them real quick in case you don't. Uh, And then the 18-inch bases, uh, it's, you know, just like in the Atlantic League bigger bases they're 18 inches opposed to 15 uh shaves off some distance between the bases i suppose but um i mean realistically it's a very minor difference in the end maybe it'll make a difference on you know some plays those bang bang plays are probably going to go more to the runner now but they're already kind of trending that way i mean what was it the official rule or even unwritten rule where it was tied to the runner makes it a little bit more yeah offensive it, it doesn't really have any that much of an yeah. impact at all just yeah. safety honestly that's yeah. how i view it exactly it's the it's the definition of just rounding up or rounding down that's the way i view it like if you before it may affect like 15.2 so instead of it being 15.2 it's now affecting 16 we're just rounding it up to the next number you know right. like that that's a minor thing the shift band it was always one of those ones where, and obviously we won't spend too much time talking about it because it's major, mainly a major league thing, but like even when it was being tested, everyone was wondering, why are we testing it here? Nobody shifts here. Like, yeah, that's the thing. And like, we talked to a, a couple of managers now, and we've talked to a lot of various either players or front office people or everything like that. And I got to be honest, with all like the manager types that we've talked to, they all seem to be in the camp of, I'm not shifting anyway. And a lot of them are in the camp of, even if I wanted to, I don't have the information to be able to. It's just kind of like what I've seen from this guy, having played him like 10 times this year, I may shade them, but I'm not really doing a shift because I'm not doing a shift. Exactly. And that's why... It honestly had real no, no real impact in the Atlantic League when they did. Um, I don't. So I, I'm not a fan of the shift ban. Oh, it's not a hill I'd be willing to die on. 
just personally, I don't like the idea of like a, a guy hits a ball into the hole between first and second, a, the 55% of the time, and you can't play there. Like every single sport, you're able to like you adjust your strategy based on the tendencies of your opponent. Right. Like, yeah. and, and that happens. I mean, that happens in basketball, happens in hockey, happens in football, of course. Like, I, I just don't, I don't like the kind of the big picture idea of that. I understand why it's attractive just because, um, you know, you want the batting average on balls in play to go up uh, because you want, you, you want to discourage hitters for just swinging for the fences and I do think there's a chance that it makes the quality of the game better. I, I really do think that there's a decent chance that that happens. I just don't like an idea of a rule that kind of takes away, uh, that kind of takes away that whole strategy aspect and, and kind of gifting players who have it. Cause hitting like as a hitter, hitting a ball, uh, like hitting most of your, your batted balls in a specific spot is a weakness. Right. And so I don't like rewarding that. I don't like just making it easier to get hits. To me, that is, that's not really the way to go about it. I know I'm probably in the minority because I, I, I can see the scenario where the game improves as a result. But I, it didn't, the Atlantic League, it really had no impact because people didn't really shift. Not to mention in the Atlantic League, when the rosters are changing so much, you don't really have that much data to go off of i think if there were if there if there were data I, i'd certainly think you would see managers do it but i think that uh when everything is so many things are based on like small sample sizes and in, in indie ball not just the atlantic league but anywhere uh it's it's tough to really feel good about going into going into a shift not to mention it's not like you can't shift anyway with these rules you just can't have an extreme shift like if you think a guy is going to be up the middle, you can toe the line as soon as the pitch is thrown and then move over, right? So, uh, and I think I think it'll be really interesting to see how teams who are really analytically driven, uh, like Tampa, for example, look to try and kind of work within these rules uh, to to try and create some at least most of the desired effect that that normal shifts were had, whether four man outfield or or whatever. So. Uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. I think there's a decent chance that it makes the game better. I don't like the idea of it, but yeah, it didn't really have much of an impact in the Atlantic League. Of course, the way that the game is played in the Atlantic League as opposed to Major League Baseball is very different in the in the analytic sense of things. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's a mixture too of just like they had some data, but it was also very early on when we were testing this one. I mean, it's the first year we put the track man and everything in and they were fi- figuring it all out. And there was all issues with that. I think also, like you said, it's, you know, you could beat it just by having a guy take a running start to line up roughly when the ball would be hit to get over there or just simply wait until contact's made and just have him make a beeline over, play your outfielders in a little bit more to act like a shift, essentially. There's ways you could beat it. And even still... I I never really got so much the point of the shift because you could always beat it very simply by choking up and just trying to hit the other way. I mean, even if you were a decent bunter, you could just throw a butt down the line and basically put your money on uh, beating a pitcher's fielding ability to the bag. Because, I mean, realistically... It's not that easy, though. I mean, like, I understand it's not that easy, but it's also professional baseball, so I kind of expect that if you're being paid to play 
baseball in the major league level, you'd be able to put a bunt down and or be able to just choke up and hit a little chopper down the other side because it doesn't need to be perfect. It it's just needs to be good asked, I know, but players aren't asked to bunt anymore. And but so that's when, on them. They should be learning how to bunt. But why? Because bunting's important. I, I, that could be a, this could be a whole different conversation because I'm... I'm very anti-bunting. For there's a players. there's a handful of friends of this program that right now are not happy with you. They're very much on oh, the, no. the pro-bunting side of me. I, I'm I'm fully aware of that. Trust me. I I I know I'm in the minority. That I think that, but like for example, I think it it also depends. For example, if you're like a, a nine hitter that's hitting a buck sixty, sure. But I think just making it a cardinal rule that the, we we have to bunt to get a guy in scoring position. No matter who's at the plate, I think it's not a smart way. I don't think it's a steadfast rule, but if you have like an extreme shift like Lucas Duda was getting for a couple years, like you mean to tell me that telling him if you could just like choke up and just hit a little like worm burner, it doesn't even need to get out of the infield. You could just hit it up along the third base side. You could walk to first base. No one's getting it. But hitting like 97 mile an hour fastballs with crazy movement and just like, yeah, I'm just going to pick and hit a weak ground ball there is not that easy. I get it. But like, that's where the bunt comes in. If you're able to just throw a little bunt down there. Perfect. But like, like, but if you think about it though, Nick, like, but like if you reach the major leagues, yeah. right, you would assume obviously best player on the high school team, probably. Yeah. Best player on the college team, if that applies to you. Uh, and in the minor leagues, for the most part, you'd probably be one of the best hitters at any given affiliate that you were at. You Would you agree with that? Uh, possibly. I think it depends on the player and the skill set. I think some of them... I, I guess hitters, yeah. The, for the, I think for the most part, that that would be that'd be true. Mm. Um, those guys are not asked to punt. And so it's hard to just throw a guy into a major league game and say, all right, now you're going to punt when they haven't bunted for a long. And I, and I get, you could say like, well, they, they should be taught how to bunt. But I think that, um, and, and of course this is kind of an irrelevant argument because you can't have the, the crazy extreme shifts unless there's some way to get around them, which I guess there is, but, uh, I don't know. It's just, I, I've never been a big fan of, of bunting for most players, and it's not as easy as like I see the argument all the time of just like bunting, just just bunt it down the third base line, you get a single every time. It's just not. It's just not that easy to do. Obviously, it's not like I'm not saying it's got a hundred percent working percentage here, but I think you could probably be knocking down like fifty percent here if you're if you work on bunting. Like if you know for pretty much certainty that you're going to be facing an extreme shift. Every time you come up or two out of every three times you come up, it's worth going. Maybe I should just work on this a little bit, even as like a side thing in practice. We've seen championships won on bunting before. So I'm just saying, I, I think bunting is a pop. We have. Maybe uh, maybe uh, from a team that we'll talk about later today, right? Possibly, yeah. Very well possibly. But, uh, mm. but yeah, so major league rules as far as all that goes. Um yeah, the shift band, it just feels very artificial. It's not really going to do much. From the Atlantic League, it just kind of, and also with the bases too, I should say, to wrap them up too. And there's no real, I don't think you can have a, an extreme opinion on larger bases. If you really are, then yeah. uh, 
Yeah. Find something else. To, find something else to get mad about. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe you should be getting annoyed at the type of dirt that's being used in the infield too. Uh, but yeah. even still, I think this is just kind of verification for the Atlantic League that the rules agreement works on some level. I think it's a verification for Major League Baseball that they like that rules agreement. I think it's the kind of thing that when it's eventually up, I want to say in like 2026 or something like that, I'd have to look it up again to be certain as to when that agreement's up. But it kind of confirms to me that they would like to renew it. And I think both sides would be open to it as much as we've seen the controversy around it. But it does kind of confirm to me that it's accomplishing the goal that it set out to be. And I do hope that on some level, the Atlantic League gets some publicity out of it. I just hope it's not in the guinea pig sideshow kind of way, which unfortunately I think is kind of like the prevailing uh, opinion when this thing kind of comes out. And it is very unfortunate, especially for the players and the coaches in that league that want to, you know, go to the affiliate level, go to major league organizations when you don't have, you know, the proper view around the public view, the the general consensus being, oh, well, these are good players and they had to really do well under abnormal rules and abnormal circumstances. It, it makes them tougher to get picked up when that thought is, oh, well, they're basically guinea pigs, so we can't trust whatever they did. Yeah, exactly. It's a bad situation that I'm kind of glad is... Well, they're still, are they still doing like new rules, possible new rules in the Atlantic League this year? I, I want to say they are. I think I they are, but they haven't announced it. anything, and I don't, I don't really recall too many extreme ones from last year, to be quite honest. I, yeah. Like I said, I had to go back and look it up to be entirely certain, but I, I don't well, know. Well, the mound, outside of the mound. Well, yeah, the mound. But Wait, didn't they revert back last year? No, they didn't. Well, they I think they revert. They said after the year that they're not doing that anymore. Okay, because I know 21 had the mound. I didn't I think 20, 20. I thought last year had the mound. These okay. seasons are all blending together. I've been on this podcast too long. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my world. I have things that are happening in 19 that are, that I'm like, didn't that just happen? And I was like, oh, no, no, it didn't. That was four years ago. Right, yeah. I've The, the seasons blend together. I feel like a fossil. Yeah, well, that's how it goes. So, that's how it goes. Uh, on that note, uh, we're going to talk about some actual fossils, which is the, uh, the silver anniversary team for the Atlantic League. Not to insult the players there, but we do have a new player on the team. And uh, one that player is Tim Kane. He is the first starting pitcher named to the team. He was a Nork Bear from 98 to 01, a Bridgeport Bluefish from 02 to 05, a Long Island Duck from 06 to 07, and a Camden River Shark to end it off in 07. The second winningest pitcher in the history of the Atlantic League with 74 wins, only recently broken by Daryl Thompson because, of course, it would be. Uh, ten. Uh, he had five ten-plus win seasons, the most all-time among Atlantic League pitchers, a two-time All-Star, and he is third all-time in strikeouts, eighth in complete games, and third in innings pitched at over 1,150 innings. The complete game number, in case you're wondering, is 13 of them. He finished his Atlantic League career with a record of 74 and 65 with a 473 ERA, and also the most hit batters, all time was 115, and as he said in the release, I only ever tried to hit one of them, and that was because my catcher thought he was hit intentionally the inning prior. So I suppose 
114 unintentionally hit batters and one intentionally hit one. Although I never believe pitchers <laughs> when they say that. <laughs> I love that quote. Yeah. I love that quote in there. That's so good. But yeah, T- Tim Kane is such a great name. Like, and mm-hmm. kind of, and I'm not, not of course, not to rehash, but a lot of what I said last week about this and how happy I am that the Atlantic League is doing this. But Tim Kane is a perfect name for it because, mm-hmm. uh, because no, Kane does not have the the major league kind of accolades that a lot of the talk of like a lot of what the Atlantic League puts out there, like uh, like Rich Hill does this, like. Um, like Scott Casimir did that when he played, but I think that, I mean, Tim Kane is such a great name and, uh, and he was I mean, one of the, one of the best pitchers that this league, uh, has ever seen. And I think the second being the second winningest pitcher in, in league history kind of speaks for itself. But, uh, yeah, I, I love the quote about, uh, <laughs> I only hit one batter intentionally, but, um, I yeah. think that, uh, it, it was really it's a really good decision. I think it's on. It's honestly having Kane on this team is a no-brainer, uh, in my opinion. Uh, when it, when you're looking at uh, Atlantic League history, I think he's a, a great option, had a ter- tremendous career in the league, and very happy that he's on this team. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think he's also more in the camp of we all know the name Tim Kane. When you think about the Atlantic League, you think, oh, Tim Kane. As opposed to the numbers itself. Because, I mean, if you look objectively, like the wins numbers are there, but, I mean, wins aren't the best stat. Uh, strikeouts are there, complete games are there, innings are there. He is just a workhorse. He's a guy that was there for a while. He's a guy that was well known for a while. He was a guy you can reliably count on to go out there and keep you in the game, which is all you can really ask of a pitcher. But then you look at, like, the ERA and it's like, oh, well, that's nearly five. But, True, in the, yeah. but in the end, it's just more or less. He was here for a very long time, and he was a very competitive pitcher for a long time. Sure, he may not have, you know, the best stats that come from, you know, accumulated use. I mean, the ERA stat's going to be higher, inevitably, if you threw the third most innings in league history. I mean, you throw 1,150 and two-thirds innings. At some point, it's starting to start creeping up there on you, especially when you start looking at some of the teams he was on. Yeah, the early Nork teams were good. The Bridgeport teams weren't bad. And Long Island's always good. But, you know, Camden, it wasn't exactly the best team in the league. And if you're not at the upper end of that rotation, which I'm sure he wasn't starting that back half there, really outside of the top those uh, first four years, you're going to start getting popped. It's just how it is. And... You know, it just is one of those things where I like his name being here because of, you know, what he did for the league. Maybe not the stat numbers, but I do think he has a place on this list. I'm kind of surprised he was the first one announced um, as far as starting pitching goes. And we've gotten two pitchers now because he joins uh, Mike Arfoyle as the other pitcher here. So I'm very interested to see who else is going to get added to this list. I have a couple of theories as to who we're going to see, but... um, yeah, he's like, like you said, well, he's like the perfect name for this list. Right. And a, a lot of it is such like longevity based and, uh, and him being, you know, quality arm for a long time uh, in the Atlantic League and what he's done for the league. So, uh, yeah, really happy to see him put on there, even if he, uh, even if he only hit, uh, only if he hit only one batter intentionally, which I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about that. You think you actually only hit one intentionally, or was this one of those situations where it's like there was a couple accidental on purposes? 
there, there's nothing wrong with it. There, there's always a little accidental on purpose type of thing. Like, oh, oh I'm going to just go inside kind of scare him. Oh, it hit him. Yeah, exactly. The kind of, uh, I don't like the way he's been standing that close to the plate all day. <laughs> We're going to just, if it if it's a ball, it's a ball. If it's a strike, it's a strike. If he gets a base, well, hey, you're not going to be perfect every game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So on that note, we will switch over to the final little pieces of news we have. Uh, this is where we get our touch of Pioneer League news before we continue on this Atlantic League uh, epic here. We have rosters, or not rosters, but rather <clears throat> we have the uh, lineups for the coaching staffs for both the Boise Hawks and the York Revolution. We'll knock Boise out of the way, and then we'll go to York, and then we'll get into our reviews uh, for this week. Uh, the Boise Hawks, Gary Van Tolle's the manager, he returns. Michael Van Campen is the pitcher and strength coach. Aaron Sutton, the hitting and outfield coach. Jimmy Johnson, the guy that did some work in the United Shore League, kind of has been around for a while. He's the director of scouting, which I really do like. He's a guy, like I said, he was around for a while. He's, I think, also involved in the California Winter League or was for a bit. So it seems like the kind of experience he has is perfect for the Pioneer League, getting those rosters squared away. Uh, more on them later, though. Uh, Shane Nelson is the head trainer. And Coleman Evans is the mental skills coach, which I thought was a very interesting addition to have a mental skills coach. But I really do like it here, especially for guys that are trending to be younger, mostly in that I think would be reasonable to say 21 to 23, 24-year-old like age range. I think having a mental skills coach for those types of guys that are probably in their first, you know, real professional environment professional season in baseball i think having a guy like that is definitely helpful for making that adjustment from college from whatever it may be to now an independent professional league i like that a lot i already said my piece on jimmy johnson and his director scouting i really like that uh van toll if i'm not mistaken he was the guy that was originally at boise state that was their head coach for a while um we may be able to get him on too um we'll try to do that but he didn't have the best year with Boise, but I'm not sure if that's the environment around him. Not sure if that's, you know, upper management restrictions or just, you know, struggling managing. I'm not really sure what goes into it. And it can also just be, it was a bad year. That happens too. No real strong opinions on Van Campen and Sutton. So uh, I'll, I'll stop talking now and we'll let you get a, a word in here. Yeah, I think the only thing I would add is, uh, you know, with obviously Boise did not have a good year last year and, um, and, you know, then with uh, a lot of managerial turnover in, in the Pioneer League, and that's something we've talked about uh, quite a bit, just the amount of just the amount of, tur of, of turnover Van Tol get, gets another year. So definitely an important year for, for the Boise Hawks, for sure, the Pioneer League. The consistency is a value, certainly, and it'll be interesting to see what Boise does this year, but uh, this is not a Pioneer League-focused episode. This is an Atlantic League-focused episode, and we got to talk about the York Revolution real quick before we can get into the fun review-everything phase. So we're just going to kind of leave the Pioneer League there and go right to York with Rick Forney as the manager. We've known that since October, which is very weird. I feel like that was only a couple months ago where we found that out. I felt like that was a November, December thing. That was October? That was what I said when I found that. I was like, October? We found that out in the middle of the end of October. 
This is but, insane. I uh, know. I was I was kind of stunned by that. But yeah, uh, Joe Harris, longtime uh, player, moved into the York region for baseball. Has been a, a resident for a very long time now. He's the pitching coach, and Derek Wolf, a guy that's been uh, coaching for twenty five plus years. He's going to be the hitting coach. Apparently a really nice guy, knows what he's doing, knows how to communicate. That's the whole uh, boat there. That's what the setup looks like for the York Revolution. Yeah, I'd agree. I think there's two guys who have uh, really been around the game quite a bit. And, uh, and again, it, it was very odd that that was October. It really does feel yeah. like yesterday. Uh, but yeah, I think remember a guy like uh, I remember a guy like Joe Harris uh, pitching for pitching for Charleston as well. And so again, a guy that's has been around again. York has not had a a full on pitching coach for for quite a for quite a bit uh, at this point. I think yeah, to, actually since 2019. So um, both you're gonna have both no player coaches, I guess, on this staff as well. But uh, but yeah, certainly two good hires and. Guys that like, Forney has been uh, Forney's familiar with uh, as well, uh, and and Wolf of course uh, has been has been at every level you could possibly be as as a coach as well. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think for me the most interesting part is of course Rick Forney. I mean, he's the big fish, he's the name that people know. He's the guy that we spend a lot of time focusing on. But I'm very curious to see how his roster is going to get built. Who's going to be coming back? We know Nelly Rodriguez is going to be back for York. I mean, he's a he's a fixture there. He's an institution with the Revolution, uh, so you know it's good to see him back. But who else is going to be back? Who else are they going to move on for? What guys are going to go with Mason to the Frontier League? What guys are going to go to other Atlantic League teams and other American Association teams? Well, Nick, if yeah. you if you leave the York Revolution to go to the Empire State Grays, that's your own problem. Well, sure. I mean, no one's going to argue that you're making a bad decision if you want to win <laughs> games. But if you're just like, I really like Mark Mason, then I could see it. I can understand it. Because remember, Mark Mason's managing that team now. And yeah, that's going to make this... I know, uh, but... That review. I'm looking forward to the Frontier League review an awful lot because there's a lot of jackal thoughts I have. There's a lot of minor thoughts I have. There's a lot of Empire Gray thoughts I have. I'm looking forward to that review an awful lot. But you know, I'm just I'm curious to see the kind of roster back to York that is, uh, the kind of roster that Rick Forney puts together because I think it's going to be a very odd one, but it's also the one where I could very well see him getting some of the Winnipeg guys in, and you know. There's also the initial problem of getting people into Canada and getting people to go to Winnipeg, which is, you know, for everyone except for potentially Fargo, for everyone else, it's just a pain of a bus trip. It's just such a miserable one to have to do it consistently and the border crossing and then having to get the visa situation worked out with Canada and then having to make sure you can go between the U.S. and Canada, all that where you when you eliminate that roadblock however major or minor it is and it is a pain i think for the players when you eliminate that and you can say look there's no real terrible bus trip there's some not great ones but there's no terrible ones and you're all in the u.s you just got to work it out with the u.s i think it makes it a lot easier to recruit and also guys like playing for rick forney so i could very well see guys getting pulled in that we're Winnipeg guys or we're American Association guys and are willing to go to the Atlantic League for Rick. So I'm very curious to see how that winds up working out. And I'm interested to see if there's any former gold eyes on other Atlantic League teams that are like, yo, I want to go to York. 
because I really like Rick. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that roster shakes out. I'm not going to say I'm very high on York. We'll go ahead and talk more about them in about 15 minutes when we wind up hitting their spot on this review. But um, overall, I'm curious to see how Rick manages this. The other guys are interesting too, of course, but Rick's the main focus for me. Yeah, Rick's definitely the main focus, and uh, and he's going to face the the problem that really every York Rebs manager has had, is how do I get enough arms in? So uh, I'm sure he knows that, and I'm sure that there's some uh, there's definitely some good uh, some good arms on the way, and some some pieces that he wants to add. You would think some former Winnipeg pieces as well too. So, uh, but yeah, it's going to be really the the thing with York is is you got to get enough enough arms in there to pitch in that ballpark. So, uh, and I'm and I, I would trust there's not many people I would trust more than Rick Forney to get that done as well. So I'm excited to see what kind of roster he builds. Absolutely. And on that note, we will go to the Atlantic League review. Uh, it is the Atlantic League North this week, as we mentioned in the beginning of the show. That means it is Staten Island, it is Lancaster, it is York, it is Southern Maryland, and it is Long Island. We're going to go through what we expected uh, each of these teams to be like this year and then what they wound up being, who disappointed, who exceeded expectations, our thoughts on them overall. And then, of course, we'll go over the two teams that we thought were going to uh, come out of the division, that is your first and second half division winners. And if there was any sort of postseason award coming from this division, we were going to list that out as well. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to the original review, the preview for the 2022 season for the Atlantic League, you can go to episode 163 and listen to that one. I know 40 episodes plus ago, uh, but you go back to there and I believe around the 42 minute mark roughly is where this starts and then it wraps up at approximately the 120 mark uh so go ahead listen to that segment if you want to kind of get the full thoughts of what we thought going into the year that said we're going to kick it off in the same order and do it the same way we did uh for the frontier league the order we did them in that preview is how we're going to do them in the review so we kick it off with stan island obviously did not play in 21 they played in 22 and they put together a first half record of 18 and 48 and a second half record of 30 and 36 so they improved as the year went on uh, but they've wound up finishing with a 48 and 84 record for the 2022 season we had the expectation that they'd be a weak team on paper especially batting very poor batting uh extremely high the one casey clemens and kevin kraus and we thought the pitching staff would be a potential bright spot and i would say that we were right in that regard that they couldn't really hit the pitching was all right and they just kept losing a lot of really close games you know i think we definitely were spot on with it just because i remember looking at the roster i'm like wow like i see three good hitters on this whole team and I, I hate to be that blunt, but that's that is what what I remember about that team at the time. And I and they definitely just de- they definitely deserve a lot of credit for um, for getting better uh, in that second half of the season, um, certainly. But I mean, the first half was just so miserable, yeah. and so and it was it was I think disastrous. Might even not might might not even emphasize it uh, the way it should it was a terrible first half i mean you lost your a guy that was supposed to be your best hitter and kevin kraus 
because of a squabble that, again, uh, how, whoever you want to blame in that whole thing between him and Agardo Alfonso, at the end of the day, I think we could all agree it just shouldn't have happened. Uh, and yeah. it, there's just too there's just too much at stake. I mean, yeah, Staten Island was the worst offensive team in the league uh, overall. Uh, Power-wise, average-wise, I they're they're just the there just was not much on that on that offensive side. And you know the the pitching uh, at a lot of points show they're about mediocre uh, on the mound, but they just they they lost they lost a lot of close games despite the fact that the numbers were good uh, on the mound and unfortunately just the offense was just miserable and uh, and just they did not they, they deserve a lot of credit for for putting together a decent halfway decent second half of the year but it's hard to recover from from a first half that was that poor yeah I mean it was one of those where even watching them play, I'm, I may be more hesitant to use disasters because there was a lot of close games. There was opportunities to win games. Like, they struggled early on, certainly, in closing games out. They'd have leads, and then they would just go to hell. Or they would just be, you know, they'd be in it, they'd be in it, they'd be in it, they'd be in it, and then there'd be one bad inning. Or it would be, you know, it would be one nothing for seven innings, and then it would be 1-1, and then it would be 2-1. And... I mean, you can't win two one games all the time. You know, you start getting into horse races like that. Eventually, you're just you're gonna start to just lose them all, and they never got to the win them all point. So certainly, it was a disastrous first half. I'll give you that, just because of the record. But it wasn't as bad as it may appear, and they did start to work it out. And I agree a hundred percent on the Kevin Krause bit. Both people involved in that should have been more mature and handled that better. And I think if they would have handled it better, we we're looking at a team that, well, still is not a good baseball club. You know, don't get that mistaken. But I think it's enough to swing the t- the tide in enough games to where either your first half record looks more like 26 and what would you need from there? 26 and 40, roughly. Or it looks more in the second half, like maybe 500, maybe you get to 33 and 33. Like I could very well see that. And if you've wound up finishing the year from, you know, 30 games under 500 to 500 in the second half, that's at least somewhat of a high note to end the year. You can go into the off season going, all right, the first half we were finding our sea legs. We had a lot going on, on and off the field. But there's positives we can take away, and we got better as it went along, and we finished with a non-losing record. That's something to take in the next year. We can learn from this, and we will go forward, and we will next year pick up where we left off. But, you know, that didn't happen, and overall, I'd say what we said in the preview was pretty spot on in that they weren't a good team. Their pitching staff was somewhat better. And the batting got exposed early and often. Yeah, early and often is, is is a good way to put it. And yeah, you're right. They probably shouldn't. They they probably weren't as bad as a 48 and 84 team might suggest. But at the end of the day, they they still were probably the worst team in the league. And uh, and they have a lot of work to do. And especially the, if there was a if there was a year 
I guess, for them to try and uh, make a move. It might have been last year just because of the way that the Ducks were down and you don't want to. And it's hard to it's hard to bet that the Ducks are going to have two bad years in a row. Uh, so I think that it was, it was just a rough year and we'll see what kind of changes they make. Uh, what kind of changes to that roster they make coming in uh, to year two. But, yeah, just definitely not a good. Uh, first for a uh, first year, but hey, you know what? Like you, th- you look at a team like Gastonia it was miserable uh, in their in their inaugural season too, and then saw what happened to them year two. So I guess you yeah. never know. That's very true. I mean, Homer Bush is in there now. Maybe they turn it around. And I think one of the yeah. things too before we go to Lancaster is that I think we may have both been on the same page, but I certainly thought this special listening back was they were very focused less on putting a good ball club out there, less. I'm putting a good product out there more. Look at these former Mets we have. Look at these former Yankees we have. Look at all these players that you may know or may have some sort of affiliation with. Right. Like, like, like you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. You need to put out a good product. If you put out a good product, people will come to love those guys. I'm not saying you don't have any of them. I mean, look at the Ducks this week. They signed Ruben Tejada, which is the most Long Island Duck signing you could possibly ever have. Yeah. And so, like, that, that's going to get people out there. But he's also a good ball player. Like, right. obviously, I'm not expecting Stan Island to go out and be like, yeah, we're going to bring Brett Gardner in. I'm not expecting that at all. I'm not even expecting you to get, like, Maybe a guy that Yankee fans know that was around for a little bit. Maybe a slight cult hero type. I'm not asking for that. But I am saying, like, there are good players. Go get them. Go get the good players and then have your two or three token players that you use to draw in. Don't build your roster with the token players and then filter in a couple of three good guys. Right. And, like, you think about, for example, their their rotation to begin the year was built around Julio Tehran. And I remember I remember saying in the preview, like, Julio Tehran is probably not – he's probably – if he shows that he is healthy, he is not going to be there very long, which is exactly, mm-hmm. what, which is exactly what happened. So, uh, like, again, that's – like, yeah, Julio Tehran is a great name to have, no doubt about it. But if you built your roster thinking Julio Tehran is going to be your – uh, is going to be your ace the whole year. You're, you're, you're. I, I, you know, what? I don't, I don't, I don't want to call anybody names. But yeah. if that's if that was the thought process behind it, it wasn't a good thought process. Yeah, it was an extremely unwise decision. It would have been like Pete and Cavillian company going, well, we have Kumar Rocker, so we're going to build around him because we know we'll have him. And I'm not saying don't sign him, but yeah. I am saying like just understand. You gotta, you, yeah. yeah, you got to have the the right expectations for. For what that is, and a guy that Julio Tehran, who is not that, still not that old, yeah. and is, and has been injured for really most of he was. I mean, he was at his peak. He was nearly like a major league ace caliber pitcher. Oh yeah. If he shows he is healthy, somebody is giving him a chance, or he's or he uh, or like a foreign league, which ended up being a foreign league, and he went to Mexico. So it could not have. You couldn't. You can't build roster with those type of guys when there's a good chance they will not be there for, for very long. Exactly. When you have a guy that's a two-time major league all-star, that's really, what, three years removed, two years removed from being a productive major league pitcher, maybe not the the former self that he was, where he was definitely a number one in this league, maybe not that upper tier, like you say, not the ace tier, where you're like, hmm, is he in Cy Young kind of talk? But very much the, he's a really good pitcher here. And the kind of guy that if he's on a bad team and we get to the deadline, 
teams are making phone calls about that kind of guy like you said he's not going to last he's not going to make it to memorial day so like great take advantage of the three or four starts you're going to get from him go out there try to win in them but don't be surprised when he's not here long so yeah i i 100 agree with that i love the thought of bringing him in but understand what the what the relationship here is so uh, with that, we'll move on to the Amish team, the Lancaster Barnstormers, 56 and 63 in 21. Uh, they would finish 22, a little bit better than that, 29 and 37 in the first half, and then 44 and 21 in the second half, good enough for a 73 and 58 record in 22, winning the second half, beating Southern Maryland, and then winning the league championship a little bit later on. I'd call that a very productive year, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. And just the, for the first time in quite a long time, as we made so many Lancaster ERA jo- team ERA jokes, they were very good. Yeah. Uh, they were very good pitching. And they finally got good starting pitching. And their their offense, while didn't hit for, I guess, as much power as a normal Barnstormers team does, uh, they they hit for they, I mean they hit 276 as a team. Uh, they were they were able to get on base. I mean, and the pitching was able to carry them too. So I think they're with you know a team that uh, a team in the Barnstormers didn't strike out a ton. I think yeah, it was just a great great year for the Barnstormers. And of course, um, you know it, it's it's been, it had been a little bit since they were since they were a championship contender, and it's crazy because. It looked like a a Barnstormer season in the first half that we kind of got have gotten accustomed to uh, the team that the team that is going to be mediocre to a little bit below average. But since that point, uh, but in the second half, they totally they got white hot, turned it around, um, and and rode it all the way, or rode it all the way to the championship series. I mean, they they were a, they're a great squad, and they had a uh, and a really strong year. Absolutely. I mean, coming into the year, we, we said there's a lot of returning pieces and we kind of expected a similar outcome overall on the year, like not the best season, uh, something to watch for. But, you know, they weren't the top tier of this division. We had two other teams we had in mind for the top of the division. We'll talk about them in a bit. But we thought it'd be power. We thought it was going to be pretty much same old, same old. And it wasn't that they were a team that, you know, offense they pulled together they got it done I mean they did it without Kelly Dugan too for a good chunk of the season so that makes it even more impressive and the pigeon came through like you said I mean I don't really have too much else to add other than it was a very good second half for them and the first half they did enough to stay alive stay in the fight and then they regrouped and they just went to work in that second half and that that is one of the benefits of the half system you just got to win one half. You just got to get in. And if you're decent in the other half, you kind of insulate yourself and protect yourself against missing it out. So the benefit there definitely worked here. And, you know, being the hottest team in the postseason, it's it's beneficial, right? I mean, you go in yeah. winning no, games. Yeah, you win games at a two to one rate. You know, that's, that's a good ball club. And then you hit a Southern Maryland team that wasn't 
the same team we saw in the first half. In the second half, you knocked them out, and then they had, what, a high point in the final who managed to knock off Gastonia, which we were all like, oh, okay. Didn't expect an 88-win team or 86-win team to drop out in the first round, but here we are. And you kind of feel bad for high point, especially because, you know, we know guys over there it's disappointing to not see high point get it just on that front. But I respect the hell out of Lancaster. They went ahead and they bulldozed another team and it wasn't particularly close either. I believe they swept them. So, you know, overall they brought it together and they got the job done. Yeah. And it's not even like they, they're, they were just like, Oh, they got hot at the right time because I think I tend to reserve that for like a team like, like Schomburg, for example, who gets just white hot in the playoffs. But I mean, the Barnstormers were, were red hot most of that second half, and they they clearly were established themselves as the best team in the North Division by the end of. And you could tell that, like, even coming into that Barnstormers Blue Crabs playoff series, that like the Barnstormers were were on their way up, the Blue Crabs were kind of on their on their way down, um, and uh, and of course you had and uh, of course you had Gastonia on the other side of things that you're like, hey, I mean these two teams collide in the final it could be it'd be an awesome series didn't end up happening that way but of course you can always say that for a, a team that won a championship but uh, just an unbelievable year and just uh, crazy given the turnaround that where the first half started but you're right because they they did enough to keep afloat and had uh and got red hot often really started to click pitching was very good and they and they ended up getting it done yeah absolutely there and i mean they I think it's safe to say they overperformed expectation this year significantly. So uh, certainly good for them. Uh, we go over to the other Pennsylvania team in York, uh, 56 and 64 in 21. They would not improve at all uh, in uh, 22, 56 and 76. A 31 and 35 split in the first half and then 25 and 41 in the second half. Uh, safe to say they likes that island missed the postseason expectations coming in the bats were interesting your usual ones but we kind of expected a similar season to the past like we did with lancaster only this time we were right on the york front uh nothing really coming from the pitching depth like i will say listening to it we really liked austin nicely we really like santa bia and then we were like outside of them there's jim fuller and then there's nothing else really on this pitching staff that we really love because uh, there really isn't much else here. And I think uh, it's safe to say on just about every front there, just judging off the record alone before you even get into the stats, this is a team that really relied on a couple of guys. And when they, you know, were like baseball tends to be, not perfect on most days, problems formed. York clearly showed themselves a team that needed a a reset, right? Yeah. And, and I remember saying this when it was announced that Mason wouldn't come back, uh, and as well as when they hired Forney to kind of kind of change things around. And I think that they they were clearly a team that uh, that just had kind of fallen into a rut uh, over the last few years and just haven't been able to get themselves out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, again, the pitching. Uh, yeah, the pitching just wasn't very good outside of when you're when you're third best, like when you have like, your top two starters and like, well, we have a great closer. Like, OK, like that's cool. But uh, I hope you know what you're doing. I mean, that's it's better to have a good closer than a bad one. But at the end of the day, like there, there's so much more that 
that, that this team needed and, and pitching wise and not not that you're ever expecting a York pitching staff to be at the top of the league. Uh, like let's be let's be realistic. But at the same time, offensively they showed a lot of good things. I mean, they, they still were second in the league in, in, in home runs, but at the end of the day, their the pitching was just was just not good enough. Uh, and the offense while they were good, they weren't like elite and they needed to be elite to try and overcome it. And they weren't. Uh, and it was just, yeah, just the, the pitching was just brutal. And it showed that they were a team that needed that needed to have a reset. And they did. Yeah, it's one of those situations where, like you said, the, the batting kind of overcomes it. But even the batting, I don't think was that great. They were a team that was a power team only. Like if you look at on base, it's a lot different than on base and slugging. Because that second in the league in home runs really kind of covers for them a lot. When you just go into straight up, were they getting on base? Were they getting hits? Were they doing anything to produce offense? The answer is no. They have the third worst DRA too. Now, I will grant you it's by a one hundredth of a point over Charleston. But even then, you want to take the about five and a half on the ERA. The next closest is Long Island at about five. So there is a huge jump there. The jump to be you know, ahead of Long Island is greater than the jump to be below uh, Kentucky Wild Health. So that's a concern and certainly was something that showed itself up. Uh, even like, oh, we have a great closer. That may be true. Jim Fuller is a hell of a pitcher, a hell of a closer. He got, t- there's 21 total saves on this team though. So if you're not putting your closer in a position where, oh, okay, he can go and do his job, then that's going to be an issue. When you allow the third most earned runs, that's an issue at nearly 700 of them. I will grant you, you know, it's in 132 games, so, you know, it's spread out. But even still, when you just look at runs in general, it's still, you know, almost 800 runs. You know, it's still fourth most in the league, and the next closest team to you is Staten Island, and you're clear of them by about 50. Um... I don't really know what to tell you. It's it's not it's not very good. It's uh, actually very not good when you're in the bottom with all the non-playoff teams. When you look at the playoff teams, the, all four of them are the four least amount of runs given up as, you know, rudimentary, I suppose, or elementary of an analysis that is. But giving up runs is bad, and the teams that don't do that win. So you should try to not give up runs. And if you are, you need to produce runs in a way that isn't home runs. Because that's not always going to work. And we know certainly with the way that some of these small parks are in the Atlantic League. Um, that's not always the easiest thing to do is to hit a home run. But, you know, when it's home runs and doubles is getting everything done. I'm not going to say I don't like them. Obviously, I like them. The closer you are to home is better. But, you know, I need more than that. I need you to actually produce something when you're in just kind of in the quite literally the middle of the pack, the fifth best of 10 teams for hits with under 1200 hits, it's not, uh, it's not great. I will grant them. They are certainly closer to being at the top of that than they are at the bottom, but even still, um, it wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't good enough. So, uh, I agree with pretty much everything you said, but it's, I think the closer you look at, the more you go. There just wasn't enough ways to produce offense. There wasn't enough ways to get those guys around to score, and that's kind of where it all went to hell. Yeah, great. And I think that uh, that I mean the York offense also punched out the most in the league. 
Yeah. Uh, so I think that's also something to, to take into consideration too. Uh, but yeah, the, the pitching just wasn't good enough and the offense had to be elite to try and overcome it. Like for example, if you think of like a boulders example or something, yeah. but the, uh, but the boulders pitching was able to be average and the offense was elite and they were fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but yeah, just there wasn't enough to really realistically contend. Yeah, and what's interesting to me too, just this last point before we move on to uh, the last two teams in the division, they had the most total bases, only one that eclipsed 2000, they had 2009, but they also struck out the most with the only team being over 12,000 strikeouts, or not 12,000, 1,200, 1,200, yes, my mistake, I I make the mistake a lot, 1,200 strikeouts, they had 1,202 strikeouts, so it seemed like, okay, we'll get the guys on, and then we'll go down in the least productive of ways. And that's, uh, it's all about driving runs in. They just couldn't do that. So, uh, hopefully Rick Forney can find some guys that, you know, produce RBIs. That'd be pretty cool. But, um, yeah, it just seemed like a solo home run fest. Yeah, exactly. That, or we'll have a base hit, then a double, then a walk, and then a strikeout to end the inning. It's like, okay, that's, uh, that's a real tease, but it's not doing anything. So, uh, but a team that did do something would be the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. They won the first half. They lost to Lancaster in the first round. They were 63-57 and 57 in 2021. They met the expectations we set for them that year. And then this past year, they were 83-48 and 48 with a 48-18 and 18 record in the first half. Then they regressed to 35-30 and 30 in the second half. We mentioned already what they did in the playoffs. So uh, we expected this, actually. We were very high in them. We were. This was a team that we said is a clear top two team in the north uh they had some really key pieces return both sides of the ball that is a good pitching team a good lineup overall just a really solid team and i would say at least in the regular season they lived up to that billing fantastic first half phenomenal and then the second half they still were good but they weren't as good yeah, they weren't as good in the second half for sure. I mean, look, to begin with the positives, the pitching staff was excellent. Uh, the starting pitching was good. The bullpen was dynamite. Uh, and, of course, you, you give Daryl Thompson a lot of credit. I mean, the back end yeah. of the Blue Crowds bullpen was just unbelievable. Uh, and that that won them so many games in that first half and in the second half, too. I mean, they were still a good team in the second half, but... I think you could tell just by the way that the Barnstormers were playing at that mo- at that time that they were running into a, a, a buzzsaw in, in the Barnstormers at that time. And obviously yeah. something I point learned too. Uh, but, I mean, overall, it's... I mean, the Blue Crabs had, had a great year. Uh, and I think just when... Just the offense wasn't the same in the second half. Uh, and I think that's the one thing you can point to is just there wasn't enough thump there wasn't enough run production in the in the second half of the second half of the year for them so i think that's probably the number one culprit you could point to but i think that it was still a great year for them and and the pitching staff was just incredible yeah i mean that's one of the two teams with the sub four era daryl thompson helps out a lot there in that regard too second most shutouts in the league at 12 only gastonia with more 14 complete games by far the most complete games next closest teams had three there was a couple tied at three so uh was that four times as many nearly five times as many complete games uh they, they pretty much dominated every single aspect of the game 
uh, second fewest runs, second fewest earned runs. I mean, you can keep going through all of this. Strikeouts weren't as high up there. They were kind of middling in that regard. But I mean, they still got it done at the end of the day. The name of the game is stop them from scoring. So the pitching staff did that job. And then batting wise, I mean, I don't even really have any complaints in that regard. I mean, sure, they weren't killing it. I mean, you look at their numbers there. Uh, they weren't slugging great. They weren't hitting for average particularly well, but they were getting enough to get it done. And when you have a great pitching staff, that's all you really need. They really kind of proved me wrong the first half, but I'm still in the point of I don't trust them when we get to the postseason. You know, they're very much, uh, to use a hockey reference, they're like the Carolina Hurricane, where I'm going to need to see you do something meaningful in the postseason before I can confidently say that this is a team that I I trust to be a, an elite team, an lethal team. I think they're very good in the regular season. I think there's a lot of really good pieces, and I'm very curious to see what they do next year because I think now two years of fairly consistent success. Obviously, they played a lot more games this past season than they did the year prior, but even still, uh, it's a significant improvement as far as overall record goes. You go from six games above 500 to, what, nearly uh, 35 games or so above 500. So, you know, that's pretty, pretty damn good. So very curious to see what they do there. I think, obviously, we can't say who's going to be a front runner, who's not going to be a front runner uh, going into next season without seeing a roster yet. But if we have a similar team for 23 as we did in 22, you gotta think they're at the top of the list. Yeah, it's all gonna come down to what they do in the post. It's all gonna come down to the postseason for them, which they they have had their struggles in the playoffs. So uh, I mean, shouldn't take away from from a really really good regular season that they had. Just uh, just have not been able to put it together in the postseason yet, and it's been it's been a trend with them. But you hope that maybe if they can get back to the playoffs again this year that could be, this could be the year that that they turn it around and uh and if they assemble a similar roster i think that there's a there's a decent chance that they do that yeah absolutely there and that brings us to the final team uh the team that we were also very high on this is a team that we both had winning at least one half uh that's the Long island Ducks, 68 and 52 in 21 in 22 though uh, 64 and 68. They actually managed to regress in more games and win fewer games uh, overall. Uh, 36 and 30 in the first half, 28 and 38 in the second half. Missing the postseason. Very on Long Island Ducks season. We expected this team to be extremely strong. We explicitly even said extremely strong on paper. Practically a given there in the postseason was said at one point. I believe that was by me, but you know, even still, uh, fantastic rotation with uh, with strong batters to boot. Uh, we were very much saying, "Look, this team has five legitimate starters," and yeah, that didn't quite pan out. <laughs> and they also lost some guys to getting picked up. But we even factored that in. We said Long Island always has guys picked up, but they also always find guys. So we they've done nothing to make us doubt them. And they just, it didn't happen this year. It just was a, a total misfire of a year. And if there's, a, if there's a team in an organization that deserves the benefit of the doubt, I think the Ducks are the... Oh, absolutely. I think the Ducks have absolutely deserved that. I think the the thing the major thing I can point to, and you can go into the, uh, it was a mediocre team, yeah, um, and which is a disappointment on Long Island. It is, uh, uh, but 
I think the main thing you can point to, Nick, is they, they assembled a really strong roster at the beginning of the year. Guys got picked up, not abnormal to what, what the Ducks usually do, but they're mm-hmm. able to find guys. And in particular with arms, they just were not able to replenish the arms the way that... And that's not just the Ducks problem. That was an everybody problem. Uh, but they just were not able to kind of reply i think the main problem is they were not able to find talent mid-season the way they normally do uh and i think that is the number one major reason that they had a near around 500 year last year and something that i don't know if they're gonna look to to change because i don't know if you should change your whole strategy after one one year but just based on the way the game is going and you I don't I don't know if it's gonna be similar this year, but it's gonna be really hard to find arms uh mid season. We'll have to see. But yeah, the Ducks I think the the main problem for them last year was just the fact that they, they assembled a great roster, but they uh they just were not able to replenish guys the same way that they were they have been able to for a decade plus now. I would say that's a pretty accurate way. I think a lot of that mound controversy, a lot of the rule controversy, it kind of hurt them there because I think a lot of guys otherwise would have said, oh, Atlantic Lake, fantastic. They maybe said, mm, you know, I got offers from the American Association. Maybe let me go there. I may want to wait this out. You know, I like the manager over here in the Frontier League. I could pop, probably go over there. I mean, you saw a lot of the guys that Lang Island was running out. They were very un-Atlantic League guys, you know, guys that would do fine in other leagues, but not on this level. And I mean, you even look at it here and it seems like the biggest two things was one, middle of the road pitching team around a five ERA, around the middle for hits allowed, middle of runs allowed, middle of all the things that are important, you know. So not terrible there. Something you can definitely overcome if you have a good batting team, but they weren't. I mean, like they were, they were bottom for hits. They weren't getting on base, you know, or well, they were getting on base, just weren't getting the runs, I should say. I mean, you start to look at you sort of, they do get hits, but they don't get runs. They don't really support it. I mean, the, I should point it out like this. This is probably the best way of putting it up. They were second in the league in hits, over 1,200 hits. They were third fewest in runs scored. Only about three-fifths of those hits wound up turning into runs. And you can compare that to, you know, some of the runs leaders like Gastonia, who near like eight out of every 11 hits came around the score. Even bad teams like Wild Health, still over half, considerably over half, you know, 762 of uh, 1197. Now, obviously not, you know, there's other ways to get a base, walks, hit by pitch, other ways. But it's just kind of like a general quick look at it. They were getting on base and then they weren't scoring. So again, if you're leaving, and I understand the pun here, ducks on the pond, then we're going to have ourselves a problem now, aren't we? And you just, like, you look across the board here, and this is a team that, you know, again, just they, they couldn't score runs. And when you don't have the kind of pitching staff to be able to stay and hang in the fight, it's going to be a problem. And so it just looks like they got overmatched. And we kind of were... We were a bit off on some of those predictions. Some of the guys we were high on didn't prove to work out. Other guys that we were high on, they weren't replaced when they got picked up. So correct on that one too. Uh, but but you know overall, it just was a I think misfires the way to go. It just didn't work out the way they thought. And I'd agree with you. I don't think you rethink the whole strategy 
but I do think it is something that you have to work into the calculation now, you know, kind of go, all right, if we bring this guy on, do we think we can get more than like two months out of him? Do we think we'll be able to get to 4th of July with him? Can we win the first half with them and then worry about replacing them in the second half? And I think that's the new calculation as opposed to just get the best guys. We'll find a replacement. It may take a week or two, but we'll find one and we'll still be right in the thick of things. I, I definitely would agree with that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's going to be interesting to see how they approach it this season. But yeah, just the replenishing players was was a big problem. And you're right about the offensive end. There were certain guys that that were expected to produce and and really didn't. I think of a guy like Rusnay Castillo, who I was I was personally was really high on coming into the year, uh, and he didn't really perform. Ended up going to Staten Island um, by by mid year. So yeah, just wasn't didn't get a ton of production on on the offensive end the way that the the way that uh, we're used to from the Ducks. But, hey, you know what? Again, I, I'll say it again. They they deserve the benefit of the doubt for just a misfire of a year, as you put it. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure that they'll be assembling a, a pretty top-tier roster as well coming in coming into this year as well. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, but I think uh, just a mediocre year and certainly a disappointment, I know, for, for the Ducks. But uh, if anyone if – anyone, deserves a year like that and deserves to come back with high expectations once again it's them yeah absolutely definitely agree with that and on that note we just have a little bit of cleanup work left to do before we leave off this show this week uh playoff predictions we both had long island and southern maryland obviously we we're both half right uh will you were slightly more right because we said between these two which is going to make the final you said southern maryland uh i said uh long island obviously neither team made the final but Southern Maryland got significantly closer than uh, Ling Island did, so we'll give you that one. However, uh, we also did player of the year, pitcher of the year prediction in this. And for pitcher of the year, we both had a North Division guy. For banner of the year, you picked someone from the South Division, which was a good pick, but uh, I don't, not quite right. Uh, and I picked someone from the North. So we'll go over the, the North Division ones here. You had Bennett Perry as the pitcher of the year. They didn't quite work out. I had Daryl Perry left, right? Yeah. 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 So that didn't quite work out. I meanwhile took old reliable and Daryl Thompson and uh, it worked out. So as I told you, betting against Daryl Thompson's like betting against Tom Brady. It's a poor decision. Just always bet on Daryl Thompson. He is just reliable as can be Uh, South division batter. I have list here for, uh, for your player of the year, which I believe was going to wind up being uh, Jerry Downs, if I remember right. We'll go into more detail next week when we look over the South on that front. And I had Carlos Castro as uh, the batter of the year because I said if he stays in York the whole year, he'll win it. He did not win it. Um, so that was wrong. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's all the cleanup work we had. And, uh, yeah, overall, I think we were generally speaking correct on most of them. Obviously, there was two big misses on our part, but uh, outside of that, uh, what does that wind up being? Three for five, which I yeah, think is pretty solid. It. Yeah, I mean, that's I'll solid. Take it. That's pretty damn good. Betting 600 like that. So, uh, yeah, that's all we have for this week. Next week, we'll do the Atlantic Lake South Division, and then we will go into the American Association after that. But, um, yeah, we, we look forward to continuing to do these. So, uh, if you want to... 
Follow the show. You can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. If you want to follow on Instagram, you can do so at ALPB underscore news and at IndieBallReport. You can find the show wherever you find podcasts, TuneIn, Citrus, Spotify, uh, Podbeam, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, all those spots. Find the show. Like, rate, review if you can. Help support it. And you can also go to the website uh, where we have articles. We have all the show notes for this. So if you want to go back and look at the article, see that picture of those question mark jerseys from an hour ago, uh, you could do so there. Uh, likewise, we're going to be posting more content on the article hub. I actually have to do that now because I had a, a press moment and I'm actually obligated to, to post something there now. So, uh, something will be coming there fairly soon, probably by the end of the week. So by the time you listen to next week's episode, it'll probably be up there. More details on that when, uh, when it comes up. <clears throat> But yeah, that's IndieBallReport.com to take a look at that. So be sure to uh, keep a weathered eye on all that. And uh, with that said, uh, we only have a couple things left to add. One of which uh, was our usual, whatever we have on our mind. And the other thing is we have the Super Bowl, or I should say the big game because of rights and stuff. Don't get sued. Yeah, don't want to get sued for that because Christ knows they'll be able to get a lot out of me. We have that coming up in like two days, so... I guess we'll go with predictions for that and then anything else we got left to add. So for me, I am totally torn about who about who's going to win yeah. uh, the Super Bowl just because it, uh, it is as evenly – it's as even of a matchup, I think, as you, as you could possibly have. Yeah. Really excited for it. I'm going to pick Kansas City, and the only reason I'm going to pick Kansas City is because I despise the Eagles. So <laughs> I, I think talent-wise, they're about even – and so Ty goes to the team that I don't I don't outwardly despise. So I'm gonna say Chiefs win the Chiefs win 27-21. All right. See for me, whatever I say on here, it's not actually I'm gonna do this because I have a pick'em. And if the one person that's ahead of me takes Kansas City, I'm obligated to pick Philly because that's my only shot at winning. And if they pick Philly, I gotta take Kansas City. So I'm doing that for my pick'em. But regardless. As far as who I think is going to win, I'd agree with you, Will. I think they're both pretty even. And I agree with you. I despise the Eagles, too. I despise the city of Philadelphia as a whole. So it's very difficult for me to say this. But I'm going to go with the Eagles. If for no other reason than, uh, to be blunt, I think that they're a slightly better team. I think that they have a more well-rounded team. And I think that's going to wind up winning the day. And also, it's Philadelphia. I think they have zero qualms about saying, let's find out how good that ankle is when we go ahead and, you know, start messing up on the bottom of a pile. So, you know, I I just have this feeling there. And also, I mean, if we really want to get down to and go off of reputations, is Nadamakin Sue known for being a gentle and sportsmanlike individual on the football field? He, he is not, Nick. So if he sees Patrick Mahomes down on the ground, do you think he'll do anything with that ankle if it means adding a little bit of extra hardware? I, I I can't say for sure, but he does not deserve the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, we should ask Aaron Rodgers about him. I'm sure A-Rod's got some uh, opinions. But yeah, I just I feel like the Eagles are willing to get grimier. And I feel like that's enough when everything else is equal. I feel like more well-rounded and grimier is just the deciding factor. So as much as it kills me to say it, and as much as it kills me to see the city of Philadelphia with any sort of enjoyment, I I have to go with the Eagles on that front there. Yeah. uh, Well, I mean, it could go either way. It really can. Exactly. So anything else that we have to throw in here? or are we just? 
Only thing I want to add, World Baseball Classic rosters have been released. They're awesome. Every, like All the good players are playing. It is going to be absolutely insane. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I've noticed there's a lot of indie ball guys on those rosters too. Like I saw Brasino, I saw Alex Crosby, I saw a whole bunch of guys. Like honestly, we may have to go through it and just list all the indie ball guys next week because there's a lot of them and they're all really good. But yeah, only thing I have left to add is uh, the Rangers got Vladimir Tarasenko, and that's pretty cool. And I'm very happy. It's like. Oh, it's, it's like Christmas. The top nine is fantastic. Honestly, the whole forward core is amazing now, if you look at it. it's There's no weak link, and it's fantastic. And there's still about a million, million and a half left of deadline cap space, so we could still go out and add more, which is fantastic. Now, there'll be smaller pieces. There'll be depth pieces. But, like, the thought of just tacking, like, a Nick Bukestad on or getting, like, Troy Stetcher as a 7th D for, like, pennies on the dollar, which is what they'll be for Arizona is just a fantastic thought to me and I love it. Yeah. Tarasenko is pretty good. Yeah. It's a good addition. I'll, I'll just, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Well, don't worry. You have Jack Hughes and he's healthy, so it's okay. Shut up. <laughs> I'm taking, I'm taking a lot of joints. Plus the Islanders lost to Vancouver last night. Oh, it's just getting better. You, you saw who scored the game winner? Yeah. Bovillier after he got dealt. I saw that. I was just like, oh, it just keeps getting better. Everything. Ca- it was all coming up yesterday. Ah, oh, I love it. But, but yeah, I suppose we'll leave it off there. It's not quite the same marathon one y'all got last week. It's about an hour and 10 minutes shorter. But, you know, it's still 90 minutes long. So that's what you'll have to make do with. At least until next time when you're playing ball. <laughs> <laughs>